Every pastor, whether they want to admit it or not, one of their primary responsibilities is to be an architect of culture. Cultural change inside the church has to happen before strategic change can happen. Uh, you have to you have to decide who you need to be as a church in order to reach the people that God has called you to reach. And so there are certain aspects of our church culture that might actually be really helpful for us to reach people who are far away from God. But there might be aspects of our culture that are gonna make it difficult for us to uh, reach people who are far away from God. You're listening to the 95 Podcast from the team at 95 Network, where we host conversations specifically designed to support leaders in small and mid-sized churches. Well, hey everybody, welcome back to the 95 Podcast. This is Dale Sellers, Executive Director at 95 Network. And I hope you're having a great week and your new year is off to a great start. Uh, As always, we like to, especially in January, February, the first of the year, equip you with some things that will help you and help your church. You know, you just finished up the Christmas holiday season, uh, but you have Easter coming, which is, it comes every year. And so we don't want you to catch you by surprise. And I think today's podcast may give you an ingredient to help you uh, prepare for not just Easter, but really prepare your church to have an impact. And I'm, I'm excited about this conversation. I've got Bart Blair with me today. He and our dear, dear friends, <laughs> <laughs> even though we really have never met in person. <laughs> yeah, Bart, how are you doing today? Dale, I'm doing great. And I'm, I'm glad to be able to hang out with you for a little bit today. Appreciate the opportunity. Well, we were saying before we came on, you know, that we we, you know, we feel kind of close because, you know, this is the podcast. We connect, but we really don't connect that often. But it's kind of like I do. I tell people, you know, I'm, I, I don't like Facebook, but there is one element of Facebook I like. And that is you kind of keep up with people's families. And, and so you feel like you know what's going on. So you see somebody you haven't seen in 10 years and, and you're like, yeah, but I remember this happened and this kid was born and this. Had, and it's like, yeah. yeah, but you really didn't see them. And so that's kind of you and I have a virtual relationship. <laughs> it is true. It is true. And you know what? I'm I'm hopeful and I'm confident that over time it's going to move from from virtual into more just cuz we you know we run in some of the same circles yeah. and we're we're working towards some of the same objectives in terms of the way that we help churches. So well, you've it doesn't, it doesn't me, make sense. Yeah. You've connected me in the past with places that actually have book, book vision days or our or book conferences and then uh we've had other connections where we, you know we were coming to a conference and the conference canceled. So eventually we'll sit down and, and have a, a nice meal together. But in the meantime, uh, take a few minutes and tell everybody who who is Barton. Tell us your story a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm recording today from the Dallas Fort Worth area, which is where I grew up. Uh, grew up as a church kid, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, no questions asked. I graduated from high school, went off to college. And as is often the case for young people my age, I knew a lot of the what about the Bible. I just didn't know a lot of the why in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went off to college, started studying music, uh, kind of drifted pretty far away from from God and the church and anything of consequences it relates to you know my spiritual journey I'd made a profession of faith as a kid and and my profession of faith was honest and sincere but like I said I could tell you a lot of the what was in the Bible I knew the stories I knew all the the basic guidelines and the rules to follow but I didn't really have a relationship uh, with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, I started a professional career in the performing arts. Uh, fast forward a few years, that career took me to the East Coast of the United States. I was living in the Baltimore, D.C. area. And uh, the Spirit of God led me into a local church because I was living in a new community and I needed some friends and I needed you know, some relationships. And I decided that after five or six years of being on tour and working in the performing arts world, I wanted some good friends, some nice people and nice Mm -hmm. people went to church. So I figured if I went to church, I'd meet some nice people. And I did. Uh, God brought me into a church that was a relatively uh, new church plant. 
I connected with some guys who sort of figured out where I was in my spiritual journey, began to mentor me and disciple me. And um, I, I had, I, I wanted something that they had, which I realized that I knew a lot about God and I knew a lot about Jesus, but I did not have a real personal relationship with Jesus. So in my mid to late twenties, I, I, I really put a stake in the ground and said, God, here I am. I'm yours. Uh, do with my life, whatever you want. And that was one of those uh, commitments that I made that if I look back on it, there have been many times that I said, what was I thinking when I told God <laughs> to do with my life, whatever you want. Uh, but um, I was working for a company that uh, moved me up to Canada, uh, to the Toronto area, uh, through a mutual friend in that church that I'd been in in Maryland. I connected with some guys that were planting a church in the Toronto area. I got involved in that church plant became the worship leader. My skills, my gifts were musical. And so I became the worship leader in that church plant. And within a couple of years, I transitioned out of working in the corporate job that I was working in that had moved me to Toronto. And uh, I became the worship pastor in that church. Uh, around the same time, I met my wife, uh, Elizabeth, who is Canadian. And uh, we got married uh, right around the same time that I started serving on staff at the church. Uh, and I ended up being at that church for about uh, 12 years total, about 10 years on staff. Um, eventually transitioned out of my role there as the worship pastor in that church to join another guy from our fellowship of churches uh, out in Southeast Alberta uh, to plant a church. So we planted a church together. Um, I ended up serving uh, as the senior pastor of that church for about five and a half years after we, after we planted. And then in 2018, um, my, my dad was having some health issues and I needed to get back to Texas. Uh, just things had kind of come full circle there. And so I transitioned out of my role pastoring that church and took a position uh, with uh, the church planting ministry uh, that was um, helping churches in our small denomination, our small fellowship, plant new churches. Mm -hmm. And I started really focused on communications, helping that ministry uh, reach more churches and more people in our fellowship, our denomination, to let them know the kind of church planting work we were doing and we wanted to do. And uh, the executive director uh, of the ministry, uh, Nathan Bryant and I, that ministry is called Assist Church Expansion. Uh, Nathan and I uh, started discovering that, you know, there were a lot of churches in our fellowship that were struggling. In fact, our yeah. fellowship, like like many, uh, we were closing churches faster than we could start new churches. What time of year was this? I and mean, what time on the calendar? This is before COVID, before the Yeah, pandemic. this was 2017, okay. 2018. Okay. And, you know, our fellowship has a long history of planting churches. But when we started doing the math, we realized that between, you know, like 1990 and, you know, 2019, 2018, we were losing churches faster than we can start churches. And so he and I began a journey of just kind of leaning in to learn what other people we're doing, you know, you, you you've served with uh, Tony Morgan and Unstuck mm -hmm. Group for a while, and and at the time, back in 2017, 2018, like, Tony was probably one of the only people, like really, that you could. Well, Aubrey Malfers, there were a few guys out there that were were doing church revitalization, to use yes. that that phrase. Mm -hmm. uh, Tom Cheney in, in Orlando was another guy that I kind of connected with. And we just started learning, like, what can we learn from what other people are doing that we can bring into our family of churches? And kind of create this partnership with churches where we can help them find a new day, a new way forward. Uh, churches yeah. that have been stuck or declined for a long time um, that uh, really weren't sure what to do. And of course, there's been sort of a an epidemic in the church world in North America where we have baby boomer pastors uh retiring uh at at a pretty rapid pace because they're at that in that season of life the youngest baby boomer is 59 yeah and, so, and some of these today right now yeah, 59 yeah, is the youngest baby yeah, boomer yeah uh wow uh some of these churches had not done a pastoral search in 25 or 30 years because they'd had the same pastor and yep. 
And many of those churches were, you know, churches that really needed not just a new pastor, but they needed a new and fresh vision for their future. And so mm-hmm. I sort of stepped out of my role as the communications director with that ministry and started uh, serving as the director of church revitalization. And so now I oversee partnerships uh, with churches uh, that are looking for a new way forward. And so mm-hmm. um, interestingly, you and I have crossed paths in, in both this space, but also um I also work for another organization called Missional Marketing. And, yep. you know, my 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 work colleague, Jason Hamrock, he's been on your show a couple of times. Um, at the time that I moved to Texas, um, I actually reached out to Missional Marketing to help with one of the church plants that my ministry was working on uh, and to, to help us with some marketing. And I ended up on a call with one of the founding partners of Missional Marketing, Earl Ricker. And he said, hey, you live in the Dallas area. I said, yeah. He says, we've always wanted somebody on our team who lives in Dallas. And so... Long story short, uh, I built relationship with the partners of the company and ended up also uh, working now in that digital marketing space as well. So I do coaching and consulting for churches through missional marketing to help them leverage digital tools and resources to reach more people. And then I work with churches that are, you know, stuck in decline, looking to refresh their vision or find a new way forward. And so I basically spend all my time every day on Zoom calls. I travel a fair bit uh, to meet in person with churches to kind of help them walk through uh, a, a process of just rediscovering who they are and who God has called them to be in their communities. And uh, and that's that's what I'm doing today. So you and I, you've actually helped me out with a cohort uh, with my ministry of guys that I'm I'm coaching through revitalization. Yeah. We've connected on the missional marketing side a few times. And so that's kind of the, the nature of the relationship that I've had with you here the last few years. Uh, as you do all of this, give me your assessment as of today. We're recording this in uh, November 2023. Uh, based on what you are seeing, what's your assessment of where the church is right now? You know, I, interesting. I was having a conversation with uh, a friend just a few days ago about this. And I said, here's what I'm noticing. Churches that have an intentional plan to reach people in their community um, are actually seeing some pretty significant getting getting traction like mm-hmm. i i mm-hmm. had many calls with churches right around the easter holiday this past year and with the exception of just a few uh whether that was churches that i'm working with in that revitalization and rural space or churches that i'm working with that are doing digital marketing and, and trying to leverage those tools almost every church that i connected with around easter said that their easter services were either the highest attended they'd ever had or at least the highest since the pandemic. And so that was very encouraging to me. But I also, every week, every month, I'm walking into churches that have not had an intentional plan for quite some time. And because they haven't had an intentional plan, they're really, they're struggling. Uh, They're struggling a lot. I am in conversation with a couple of churches right now that um, they they have been stuck and they are within probably months, if not you know, a year or two of probably having to close their doors if they don't refresh the way that they do ministry, the the approach that they take to reaching people in their community. They've got to have an intentional plan of reaching lost people, uh, discipling people and equipping the saints for the work of ministry so that we can keep doing that over and over again. So I'm overall, Dale, I'm encouraged by what I see in churches, but it all is directly related to those churches that say we're called to reach somebody in this community and we're going to put a plan together to go reach those people. And if churches are doing that, I think that there's still a great opportunity to reap a great harvest in our culture today. Can a church wait too long? To Absolutely. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the tools that I use when I'm having conversations with churches is the bell curve that Tony Morgan at Unstuck Group put together that kind of talks about, yeah, talks about the, the the life cycle of a church. And I also use that in comparison with a, a book that Seth Godin, who's a business guru, wrote a number of years ago uh, called The Dip. And in in his business book, and, you know, I don't, I'm not always excited to bring business principles into the church space, but I think in this particular case, the, the illustration works well. You know, Tony Morgan's bell curve basically says, you know, have you've, you have a season of, of rapid growth and you have a season of, of uh, strategic or healthy growth. And then at the top of that bell curve, if you're not careful, you start, you know, slooping down to the other side and you end up on life support at the very bottom of that bell curve. And in uh, Seth Godin's book, he says, you know, there's basically three ways that every organization kind of approaches the bottom side of the bell curve on the right-hand side. He says, one is you can just go off the cliff and you just end, right? You just close the doors, the business closes, the church closes, what have you. Um, Or you end up in what he calls the cul-de-sac. And the cul-de-sac is we kind of end up at the bottom and we just circle around and around and around. And we're not actually making any progress. We're not doing anything of consequence. We're, We're not seeing any progress, but we're hanging on. And we're not closing the doors, but we're, yeah. we're totally stuck. Right. Yeah. And then the, the third option is to realize that you're in decline and come up with a strategic plan to reverse the curve and then reverse the curve and find yourself moving back up into a season of, of healthy growth and healthy, sustainable uh, life again. And yeah, I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm working with a church right now that is down to nine people. And uh, we've found a guy who's going to try to replant that church. But this is probably, you know, not a revitalization. This uh, is we're, we're going to restart. Yeah, we're going to completely. Relaunch. Yeah, we're going to completely restart this church. And so, you know, I, 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 my heart hurts for those people because they really don't want to lose what they have. And I don't know how easy it's going to be for them to transition to what they need to, to do and who they need to be in order to have the future that they want to have. But, you know, yeah, you, you, you wait too long and uh, it's harder to turn something around than it is to, you know, I mean, it's, it's, fresh. yeah, bringing something back to life. It, you know, Jesus is the one that can bring things back to life, but it's pretty hard for us to do that. Well, so, you know, t- Tony's bell shaped curve, which I, I totally love, you know, he talks about once you go past the staying healthy, the first phase is maintenance. And, and and I didn't realize this, but Tony talked about the fact that in maintenance is really when everything seems to be the best. You got the most money, the most people, everything, you know, you got the facilities, everything's just going well, good staffing. He said, but that's when you shift inward. That's when you start thinking about, you know, to satisfy the saints. Or he didn't say this. I say this. Satisfy the saints instead of saving sinners. Mm. And, and But then you drop down to the next phase, which is um, when, when you get stuck where people are like, we can't change now because, uh, it, you know, we've always done it this way. And once you get down into that phase, the next place you go down to is life support. And he says, once you go past maintenance and get down in those bottom two places, you don't go back up again. You have to mm-hmm. relaunch. And yeah. and I'm seeing that, but what I'm what the, and the reason I ask you this question is because um, since the pandemic, you know, the pandemic forced churches to recognize where they are. In our lifetime, I'm a little older than you are, but in our lifetime, you know, and you started the podcast this way with basically saying we went to church because you go to church because you go to church. You know, if it's Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and five things during the week, you're there because you're expected to be there. Those days are gone. And so now we live in a season or are in an, in an atmosphere to where uh, it man, if it's not connecting with people, they're not coming. And so when the pandemic happened, you know, I, I've, I've said this multiple times, I'll continue to say it. I don't think one church closed because of the pandemic. 
I think, you know, the pandemic was a, was a an accelerator. And if you were on the right track, it, you, you got through it. It was hard. But if you were on the wrong track, you, you found out quickly where you're going to be in a few years. And so what I'm seeing now, and I want to ask you what you see in this specific arena, I see pastors who are not trained or equipped at all to, to lead churches. Uh, they know how to preach, they know how to pray. This was true before the pandemic, but now they're being called upon to lead and do, and you've used these words, get a strategy, get a mission, get a vision, you know, figure out how to, they don't know how to do this stuff. And so what I'm seeing is more pastors just kind of like doubling down and going back to doing what we did before, or they're quitting. What, what do you see when it comes to that specific, the mindset of the leaders? hundred percent. You know, when, when I, when I go into a church, to say, no, Dale, it's not that way. <laughs> <laughs> I regret that it is, you know, when, when I, when I, when I go into a church that has had a fruitful past, mm-hmm. um, I can ask that church. In fact, I'm, I'm going to be visiting a church this weekend that I'm, I'm walking through a season of, of revitalization renewal. And I still remember when I was uh, kind of working on initiating the, the relationship with them. I asked them, I said, what was the, what was the banner year? of your church. And this elderly gentleman in the front, he said, 1978. And I'm like, okay, you were, you know, like, you know, exactly. And I said, why do you know it was 1978? He said, because in 1978, pastor said, if we ever broke 200 people on a Sunday morning, he would preach from the rooftop. And in 1978, he preached from the rooftop. Now we're in 2023 and the majority of the people in that church, their gut instinct would be if we just go back and do the things that we were doing in 1978, then God will bring the fruit and the renewal that we're looking for. Yes, I see it all and, the time. And, and the truth is, some of the things that they were doing in 1978 were would probably work today with an extreme makeover. Mm-hmm. Some of the principles, the spirit of the church, the attitude of the church, the heart for lost people. If we can recover some of the cultural elements of what was going on, and the missional heart of that church from 1978 mm-hmm. and apply some new and different strategies to actually engage with people in our community and in our culture that we're, you know, that we're called to reach. I think we can regain some traction there, but I, I do, I, I do think, you know, to, to your point there, Dale, pastors today have to think more like missionaries than they do like pastors. And I think our seminaries will do our pastors a lot of great service if they'll begin to train pastors to be missionaries in a foreign culture rather than pastors and shepherds of a local church. Because we are no longer, the church is no longer the home team in America. We're the visiting team. And, and, And so we need to, just like a foreign missionary, we need to learn the language of the people that we're trying to reach. We need to learn and understand their cultural expectations and the things that they value as a culture. And it's not that we adopt everything as our practices and our principles, because we are separate from the world. Mm-hmm. But you know, you can't go to, you're not gonna go as a missionary to Cambodia or to Thailand or to Brazil or to a third world, any third world country or any other nation without knowing the language and knowing what the cultural expectations and the cultural norms are so that you don't stick your foot in your mouth and, you know, ruin the opportunity to present the gospel. And so pastors today, pastors are trained to stand in front of their congregation and they sit in seats and we're face to face. And I believe that pastors need to turn around and instead of being facing their congregation, they need to be facing away and leading their congregation as missionaries into their community to reach the people that God has called them to reach. And if a pastor will embrace that posture, 
if he will be more interested in spending time in the community and building relationships with people that are at the coffee shop or at the barber shop or at the bank or at the grocery store than he is spending time in his office writing sermons, uh, I think he'll be successful. But if his desire is to hold up in his office and, and you know, write the, the most theologically sound, awesomely deliverable sermons, well, I, I don't know how much hope he's going to have in being able to actually reach the people in the community that aren't necessarily knocking on the doors of churches looking to hear great sermons. Uh, they, there are plenty of people out there to reach, but we have to figure out what we need to do to reach them. That was so good. That last five minutes was worth the whole podcast. But I do want to ask you this question. So so I believe that the reason that 95 percent of all the churches in America are smaller midsize is very simple. I don't think it's complicated. Uh, I always say that, you know, in Ephesians four, the Lord gave us the blueprint of how to do the church. And our job as pastors or, or, or leaders in churches is to equip saints. We don't do that. And we don't do that for one or two reasons. We don't do it one uh, because the pastor needs to do everything to fill their emotional tank. And I've talked about this a lot, you know, that so they don't hand things off. They don't let they don't let people rise up because they're threatened by them. I don't think that's the biggest reason that churches are small. And this is I don't, but the second reason I want to say to address what you just said to get your feedback. Uh, I think the second reason is, is because the governmental structure of American churches is not biblical. It's American. So mm-hmm. they have people in their churches who say things like, well, we're your boss and you work for us. So you just hit a nerve with someone with what you just said. And they're like, I want to get out of my office and I want to go do what he said. And I want to go connect with those people. But my church, that's not what they want. What does a pastor do in that situation? You know, it's it's going to have to start with changing the culture in the church. And changing culture is a really difficult thing. Every pastor, whether they want to admit it or not, their, one of their primary responsibilities is to be an architect of culture. So the leader of the church, if the pastor is really the leader of the church, and in some cases they're not, in, in some cases they don't have the well, ability to small, lead. Especially small churches, they're yeah. not the leader a lot of times. Yeah. yeah. Um, but in some cases, Dale, they are the most beloved person in the church, you know? And so they've got to do a couple of things. One is they've got to recognize that Cultural change inside the church has to happen before strategic change can happen. Uh, you have to, you have to decide who you need to be as a church in order to reach the people that God has called you to reach. Our instinct is to go, what do we need to do? What's the plan? What's the strategy? What's the outreach model? What's the, give, but it's give me really the magic bullet. Give me the magic yeah, bullet. I'll play it. Exactly. In. Exactly. But it's really more about who we are rather than it is what we do. And so there are certain aspects of our church culture that might actually be really helpful for us to reach people who are far away from God. But there might be aspects of our culture that are going to make it difficult for us to uh, reach people who are far away from God. And, you know, at every church that I go into, I'm sure you have heard the same thing. When I ask them, you know, what are your core values? What are the distinctives? What makes your church different? And every single church in North America says we are friendly. We are the we friendliest are. church in America. I've heard it yeah, everywhere I've been. It, yeah, <laughs> Every, every church. And so, and dis- you know, we start and discovered it. Most of them aren't. <laughs> yeah. They're friendly, start- with the, they're friendly with themselves. I have friends in my church and therefore we are friendly, but yes. it, but it's not always an easy, it's not always an easy community to break into. And so mm-hmm. we start with, you know, we start with a, a pastor, a leader and saying, you know, you've got to, you've got to lead with a vision. And I know that you're, you're, you're big on this too, Dale. People need to see where they're going and they need to understand the, where we're going before they'll ever understand why we're going to do what we're going to do. So, we want to help that pastor uh, really create a vision for his church that is his preferred future for the church. And then he's going to start by getting his board or the people that are closest to him 
bought into that. Uh, we we like to use what we call concentric circles or cascading communication where we say, okay, I'm going to get my board, my leaders uh, in, in tune with where we need to be. You know, we, we're, we're not making disciples. It's a biblical thing that we're supposed to do that. Uh, let's get back to that. Let's, let's get back to church 101. We need to be making new disciples, discipling those disciples and equipping and sending those disciples. Yep. And we're doing one thing really well, which is we're discipling disciples, but actually we're not even really doing that well because discipling is more than just biblical knowledge. Most people who have a great Bible teaching church are biblically literate far beyond their level of obedience. So let's figure out how to shift the culture in our church. And we start with our primary leaders, those that are closest to us. And then what most churches will do, many churches will do, is they'll then take, okay, we'll then take our, our vision or our idea or our concept to the whole congregation. And They skip this middle layer of leaders and key influencers in the church who actually need to get bought in before you take it to the congregation. And so we want to start with those, the the core leaders, the primary leaders in the church, your elders, your board, your council, however your governance is structured, get them bought into where we're going. And then you want to bring those mid-level leaders and key influencers into the, into the conversation and give them plenty of time to process it, plenty of time to ask questions, plenty of time to understand what you as a leader are trying to help your church do, which is to become a real biblical disciple-making church. Mm-hmm. And you're not talking about strategies. You're not talking about the game plan. You're not talking about what ministries you're adding or what ministries you're cutting. You're just talking about the heart of our church and who we need to be to reach the people that God has called us to reach. Once you have those key leaders and those key influencers bought into where you want the church to go, then you take it to the congregation. And it, it, if again, I think it's that mid-level communication that often gets skipped and that's why pastors end up with all of the um, the, the pushback that they do. You know, uh, I've been a big reader on books of change management because that's really what what a pastor who's trying to renew the vision in his church and trying to find a new way forward for his church. What he is is he's he's managing change in the church. And uh, there's a book by a gentleman named John Cotter called "Our Iceberg Is Melting," and it's a <laughs> business fable about this colony of penguins who realize their iceberg is melting and they're going to have to change the way they're doing things or else their iceberg is going to blow up and they're all going to have no place to live. They're all going to, you know, they're they're going to be homeless. It's similar to who who, who moved by cheese. Yes. Very similar. Yes. And there's, there's one in this colony of penguins. There is one penguin whose name is no, no. And you know why no, no is named no, no. Um, Because it doesn't matter how compelling your vision is or whether or not everybody is on board. There's always going to be a no, no. And the same is true in our church. We need to love no, no. And we need to give no, no a lot of grace. But we also need to be very strategic in terms of how we're getting buy in with our leadership team and how we're bringing that to the congregation. And, you know, I heard pastor say one time that, you know, people People will buy your vision when they can see themselves in the future of, of your church yes. and they like what they see. Yes. And so you have to cast a compelling vision so people know where you're going and where what's you're in leading. It for me? What's yeah, in it for me? Exactly. They need the with them, the what's in it for me. Mm-hmm. And and they need and they need to like what they see. I need to see myself there and I need to like what I see. And I, I think a lot of pastors are there, you know. They're they're not necessarily always equipped to figure that out on their own. And so there's nothing wrong with reaching out and asking for help from someone like you, 95 Network or Tony Morgan and Unstuck or Malfer's group or whoever it is. There are tons of, you know, it's a, it's a growing space of, of teams and organizations that can help pastors and church leaders navigate this season in the life of their church, rediscovering who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes a pastor is going to need help. Uh, and so, you know, I think 
that's that's probably where I'd land the plane on that, Dale. Yeah, well, I, I have one more question. I'm going to ask that before we do. I'll take a short break. And then we we need to transition to why you're on the podcast. <laughs> We've got a really good resource we want to talk about, and I want to allow time for that. So let's take a short break. We'll be right back. If you're listening to this podcast, there's a great chance that you're a church leader or church pastor. And maybe you've been wondering why we're called the 95 Network. Well, that's simple. Because 95% of churches in the United States are under 500 people in average attendance. We exist to connect churches to health building resources designed to equip leaders that become equippers. Let me break that down a little more simply for you. The 95 Network exists for you. We know that ministry can be filled with long days, hard conversations, tough decisions, and can be very tiring. And on top of all that, for many of us, it's also filled with isolation. Here at the 95 Network, we believe that ministry was never meant to be a one-man show. As we step into this new year, we'd love to connect with you and talk about how to work with you and your church so both are healthy and growing. If you'd like more information about the 95 Network, please go to our website at 95network.org. Back here with Bart, and man, this this has been so amazing so far. And I want to get to the resource, but the but, and you kind of touched on my question before we get to the resource. And I think this will lead into what your resource is about. Most pastors heard what you just said, and they go, "I don't know how to do that. I, I don't. I'm not equipped to do that. I don't. I don't even like doing that. I just. I recently just learned. Dale just recently learned that like seventy percent of pastors are introverts." Mm-hmm. And they've been placed in a leadership role that doesn't seem to fit with their giftedness. What do you tell them, man, when it's like, because everything you just said about what needs to happen, because we live in the residue of the seeker and the attractional movement. And so, so I like, I work with one church. This church is declining. It's not, it's not doing well. And it's, uh, it's in the Atlanta, Georgia area. And, and they have that, that older board member who remembers, you know, 1978, the whole thing you mentioned. And, and he's, this guy is given the pastor and the lead team fits. And he says, uh, we, I want you to make our church like Andy Stanley's. Now, you know, forget what you think about Andy Stanley. But and, and I'm like, no, you don't. You, you don't want that music or that style or anything. You just want those, those numbers. So that mm-hmm. mindset is what we're fighting against that, 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 the, the sign of health in a church is, 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 is budgets and rear ends. Huh. It's not. It's discipleship. Yeah. And most pastors aren't equipped to do that. So what do I do? And, and then we've got to transition to, to your to your resource. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think this is my this is the framework that I kind of bring in, or at least that the mindset. Number one, I'm I'm not really into big churches myself. I've been mm-hmm. a part of church plants and normal sized churches, you know, under 300 for most of my adult life. Um, I have been a part of a large mega church for a a season, and. Personally, for my wife and me, we just found that being in a normative size church for us uh, gives us an opportunity to use our gifts and our talents in a way that we can't necessarily do mm-hmm. in, a, in a larger church. The types of relationships that we're able to build with people in our church is it just suits us better in a normative size church. So I want to I want to lay, lay everything out here and say, Dale. I'm not necessarily saying that every church needs to be a big church, yeah. uh, but but I think every church needs to be doing three things and it needs to be doing all three things equally well, like a three leg stool. You need to be making new disciples. You need to be discipling those disciples and you need to be sending and equipping those disciples so that you can continue that cycle. Yep. And 
And I think, you know, my objective with a church is not necessarily always to increase your attendance numbers on Sunday, but your water bill. Mm -hmm. Uh, I figure most of the churches that I'm working with haven't had water in their baptistry for years in some cases. And my goal is for your water bill to be almost too big for you to handle because we're getting so many people into the arms of Jesus and into the water to declare their faith in him. That is my goal. It is not about more people in the seats. It's not about bigger budgets. It's not about bigger buildings. It's about a bigger kingdom and more people who don't know Jesus coming into a saving relationship with him. So if we start there and we say, Hey, I mean, there are certainly, if we're, if we're reaching more lost people and we're helping those people take steps of faith uh, in their own spiritual journey, and we're discipling them well, Mm -hmm. there probably will be an increased number of attendance on Sundays. Mm -hmm. Our budget will probably over time grow. We'll be able to do more ministry because we have more people and we have more resources. But if we just start with the basics, which is God has placed us as a spiritual family into a community that is surrounded by people who don't yet know him. And we are called to be ambassadors for Christ. What does that look like? What does that mean for us? What is it What for us to be true ambassadors? What do we have to change? What can we keep the same? But the first thing that has to change is our heart. We can't yeah. see the harvest as our enemies. We need to see the harvest as our calling. And that's part of the problem in the North American church today mm-hmm. is that we see the people who don't follow Jesus, not as our harvest that we're supposed to love yep. and to go reach, but we see them as the enemy. And if God can change our heart on that, I think that that'll make a, a huge impact in our ability as a church to have an amazing, amazing story to tell in the future. So what you're saying is we need a move of God. We need a move of God. Absolutely. Which leads me to a new resource you've created and why you're on the podcast that I think would help any church experience a move of God. You can't manufacture a move of God. We've we've seen churches who've done that. And honestly, everything we've been talking about to this point is creating a healthy church. Mm -hmm. And and the and your new resource, I think, should be the ground level foundational uh, fact of what we've got to do to create a healthy church. Dive into that for a few minutes and tell us what you've created. For sure. So I've created a a 40-day prayer experience for churches called Praying for Renewal in Our Church. And my motivation for putting this together uh, goes to the fact that I travel around, I visit churches, I walk churches through a season of renewal and revitalization, of finding a new pastor, of, of cultivating a new vision and a new plan and a future for their church. And over and over again, what I see in these churches is a significant lack of prayer. And I don't think it's because people's intentions in their hearts are not in tune with the fact that they need to be praying for their church and the future of their church. I'm often just concerned that they don't really know where to start. I'll piggyback on that and say another thing that I noticed because I am in the digital marketing space. If I'm on social media, which, you know, a couple of times a day, I'll scroll through my Facebook or my Instagram feed. I am perpetually bombarded because the way the algorithm works, I am bombarded perpetually with ads from guys promising to grow your church from a hundred to a thousand. If you'll do these three easy steps in the next six months. Um, In fact, there's a video a missional marketing ad running right now that if you see it, it's got me in it. And it's me telling you, you can reach more people for Jesus if you'll use Google and Google ads. And I think those things are true. So the first thing I want to, the caveat that I want to give here is that I'm not saying that hiring a consultant 
are doing marketing or doing things to reach more people from a strategic standpoint are bad. In fact, I think they're often very necessary. Mm -hmm. But what I think that they are is they are supplemental to a work of God that we need have done in our church, which is number one, changing our heart, our posture towards the community that God's called us to reach. Um, and, and, and I think that it's going to take some spiritual work for us to get there. You know, in, 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 uh, um, the book of Zechariah, uh, Zerubbabel. I'm, I think that's the way the guy says his name. You did a great job. That sounds with that. good. Excellent. You know, Excellent. they're trying to trying to reestablish, rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And what mm -hmm. does God say through Zechariah? Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And I think that as as the church, we need to recognize that yes, there are strategic things that we need to do. But before we get to the strategies, we really need to change our heart about who we are, who we're called to be, and who we're called to reach. And I think that that is most effective in the context with unified corporate prayer. So what I've created is this this 40-day prayer experience for churches to do. It's a it's It's got 40 devotional readings in it. It's designed for everybody in your church, whether you've got 20 people in your church or 200 people in your church. Everybody has a copy of this journal, and we start on day one, and everybody's committed to pray, reading through these devotionals and praying these prayers for 40 days. And we cover a wide variety of topics, things that I think are relevant for a church that needs to go through a season of renewal. And it's everything from, you know, recognizing that this is Jesus's church and not our church, uh, mm -hmm. repenting of things that we may have done that we shouldn't have been doing that's led us to a place that we, uh, where, where we're not being as effective as we could be. Uh, but got a significant component in here on forgiveness. Um, one of the Ooh. things I think churches often fail to realize is that many of them are still carrying hurts and wounds from, from seasons and issues in the past. Maybe you've had a church split or you've had a pastor that left under challenging circumstances or there have been families that have left the church and and you know we're harboring resentment or maybe we need to be the ones that seek forgiveness or maybe we need to be the ones that are forgiving um but ultimately what we're trying to do is we're trying to unify the body around a new and fruitful future in the church psalm 133 you know the the psalmist there i think is david says that you know unity amongst brothers is like the the anointing oil running down aaron's beard and onto the collar of his robe and, and I read that and I'm like, unity brings a special anointing and unity brings the Holy Spirit. Mark is the, the last thing that Jesus prayed about before 100%. the cross. The last thing he prayed was that we'd be one. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and not just one, but one as he and the Father are one, right? Yes. Which is perfect unity, right? So uh, I created this resource. That it, it It's, you know, it's not... Uh, I don't know. It, it, it's, I, I just want to say it's simple. I try to keep it simple. I try to keep it something you're my, that's attainable. You're my kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, something that's attainable and doable uh, within the context of your church. Uh, we've got some supplemental resources with it, some sermon outlines. And if you actually want to make this like a, a six week campaign in your church to pray together as a church, uh, we've got some sermon outlines that kind of coordinate with the, the, the daily prayer readings. We've got some social media content that's already created for you. So if you want to use your Facebook or your Instagram page during the course of these 40 days to, to remind people of, of what they're praying and scriptures they need to be reading, um, we got a few different things that, that will help you there and, and, and just want to coach you uh, as a church through the best way of bringing your church together. Um, maybe before you call the consultant, um, or maybe if you've already called the consultant, go ahead and do it now. Um, you know, you, you, you mentioned we're, we're in the, the, the brand new year, 2024, uh, Easter's coming soon. 
And maybe this is a time for you to be unifying the church together around the prospect of a new and a fruitful future for your church. Um, that's what we want. That's what we want. We want a church that's, that's bearing a harvest for the kingdom. And I'm hopeful that this resource will, will help churches uh, gain some traction, get some footing, and really, above everything else, just be unified around what God can and what God wants to do in and through their local church. It amazes me the lack of power the lack of the presence of the Spirit of God, the, the lack of uh, unity that exists in the church today. The, 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 you mentioned this earlier. I mean, there's literal churches that go a whole year and never baptize a soul, and it doesn't cross their mind. Mm-hmm. And, and again, you know, I say, and people are probably so tired of hearing me say this, but there, there's a reason I say this. When I say that we live in the residue of the secret of the tractional movements, both of those things started off with pure hearts to reach people for Christ. But what we did was we, we, we created this p- plug and play mentality that if I do this, this will happen. And we didn't call on Jesus. And, 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 and sadly, I still don't see very many churches that call on Jesus. In fact, when I do a vision day at a church or uh, it, it sometimes this just recently happened, I did a vision at a church and they did a 40 day prayer uh, gathering up until that vision day. And it was powerful. Imagine that, <laughs> you know, oh, they, wow. they, they, they preceded it. I didn't ask them to do that. They chose to do that. And so, the, uh, you know, it, it, we don't have the wisdom. We don't have the gimmicks. We don't have the marketing. We don't have what it takes to, to transform lives. Only Jesus can do that. And it's kind of like this. It's like things have kind of gotten so bad now that man, maybe we should pray. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a joke because <laughs> we, we should have been praying all along. And, and I see resistance. Again, I work in a small church space. There is a tremendous amount of resistance toward a, a consultant or, or, or you're trying to turn this into a business. I hear that all the time. No, I, I want to give you good strategies to help you reach your community. But if you don't pray, my, the strategies we give you, whether it's Bart or me or Tony Morgan or whoever it is, it's worthless. It's yeah. worthless. And 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 this is, I'm so thankful for your resource. And honestly, I'm kind of a little sad because it, very few people are releasing resources like this, you know, uh, I don't, I'm not one of these guys that says we need a good old fashioned anything, but Lord knows we need a revival. We, we need mm-hmm. a move in our churches where we rem, were reminded. Because see, here's the thing. Jesus is not up in heaven with his arms folded going, I don't want to bless my church. He's looking for churches, men and women of God who would dare to believe him to change their communities. He's, he's not up there going, I don't want to bless that community. I don't want to reach that community. He died for that community. But we haven't been reaching out to him. Do, do you, what, what do you, what would you assess would have caused us to get so far away from the focused prayer? You know, I, I think prayer is a hard thing. Uh, it, it's, I think it's hard for individuals as followers of Jesus to commit the time to prayer that they need to. Um, I think we, you know, we live in a very distracted world in a world that, um, uh, is so consumer oriented that our approach to God and our prayer life is often very consumeristic and corporately. You know, there's nothing fun and sexy about corporate prayer nights. And I've been a part of churches that have had them and do them. And, you know, we got way more people that want to show up and sing three songs and listen to a sermon on Sunday morning than people who want to actually gather together and get on their knees and go before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and and celebrate him and to worship him in prayer and also in, in to intercede for others and to also, you know, beg for the kind of revival and renewal that we want to see in our church. Yes. Um, and and I, I just think it's, it is, it is difficult. We live in a busy, distracted world, but prayer needs to be our, our first and our foremost 
act of worship. And I'm not an expert in this. I'm not an expert in much of anything. Um, I'm just a dude walking dude, with Jesus trying to an, get better. If you said you were an expert <laughs> in prayer, I'd been like, okay, well, that podcast went under the <laughs> Yeah, no. I mean, I'm just I'm just I'm just a dude who follows Jesus, who loves the local church, whose life was personally impacted by a church that had a, a, a vision for connecting with people who are far away from Jesus and bringing them into a relationship with him and discipling them well. Um, that is the, the my life came as a result of being a part of a church like that. I don't want to help more churches get there. And I guess I just get a little it gets a little cringy for me sometimes when I see so much of what's being promoted in the church space to help churches based on uh, strategies and tactics and and methodologies. And again, I don't want to downplay those things because I'm I'm a guy that's implementing those. I want to help churches put those practices in place. But I like you recognize that it is an it's an empty it's an empty exercise if we're not asking the Holy Spirit to fill us and lead us as we're doing yes. those things. They might work for a time, but they yes. won't be sustainable. Yes. And uh, and I just, I, I want to bring, it's a both and for me. It's like, yeah, you should probably, you know, as Ariel, the little mermaid says, we want to be where the people are, where are the people, people are on the internet. So we should probably have a web presence and we should probably be using social media and we should probably be using some, some Google ads and some other things that'll help us be where people are. But we need to love those people first. And if we don't love those people first, it doesn't matter that we're where they are. And where is that love and that heart going to come from? What's going to be the transformative work that the Holy Spirit does in our lives individually and corporately um, as a church so that we can be the light, the city on a hill that God has called us to be? The kingdom of priests helping people find their atonement, helping people navigate their way back to God. That's that's my heart. You know, and it would be great if we could gather and everybody get together and have large groups of people to pray in person. I think everybody on this podcast or listening to this podcast recognize that probably isn't going to happen in today's society. So why couldn't you use Zoom? Why couldn't you use technology to have prayer meetings? And 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 and, and again, I, 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 this makes people cringe, but make it convenient. You know, mm -hmm. it, you know. Oh no, they need to they need to get up at four in the morning and come down to our prayer meeting. And I'm going. Why couldn't you just do that on Zoom? Because mm -hmm. it's still praying. You know, our team at 95 Network, I've been leading this thing for five years. And every Monday at nine o'clock, you can't get a hold of me because we're in a prayer call. And we just finished it up this morning, right before I recorded uh, this podcast with you. We, you. You came on after our prayer call. That's why we're so anointed today. <laughs> but, the reality, <laughs> but the reality is, is we, we've made a commitment at 95 Network. We're going to pray as a team for anybody that can join us. Well, our team's all over the country. So mm -hmm. everybody who can join us, and it's never every the whole group, and it's always just a handful, but we meet, every, it's non-negotiable that we're going to meet yeah. at 9 a.m., we're going to pray, and we're going to ask God to use 95 Network however He chooses to use it. Uh, and so I think there's a, a way you can even use technology to, to, to embrace your book, where yeah. you can at least get people, you know, to connect, to talk, share prayer requests, you know, at least text each other, you know, yeah. there's, so there is a balance, I think, is what you're saying. Yeah, and you know, I'm, you know, a big part of the reason that I created the resource in the way that I did is, you know, I gave it that 40 days. Why? I guess it's, you know, it's biblically magical. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but people, I think, in our culture, they need 
to know a beginning and an end. I think yes. it's easier to get people. If, if, I, if we said we're going to start a regular weekly prayer meeting on Tuesday nights or Wednesday nights, and it's either going to be in person or on Zoom, a lot of times people have a hard time committing to those types of things for a couple of reasons. One is that, well, if they show up for a while and then they stop showing up, what does that do in terms of reflecting on their their commitment to the church? And we as a church can sometimes be a little, you know, less than gracious when it comes to people starting and stopping things. In the church world, we like to start things that we think are going to last forever and we don't give people easy on-ramps and off-ramps. And what I wanted to do was create a, a resource that gave a church a really focused period of time. We can limit it to you know, six weeks, it's, it's, it's 40 days. And this is something I think that is attainable and something that we can do. And again, I've tried to make this uh, relatively simple, streamlined, straightforward. Churches can take it and do as much with it as they want. You know, I've, yeah. I've got some some resources on my website that basically say, you know, you can preach sermons on this. You can bring the whole body together uh, weekly for a corporate prayer, prayer group, or maybe just a smaller subset of people in the church who will, you know, pray corporately together. Um, do as much or as little with you as, as you can or you want to or you think you're able to, but get the people in your church all praying for the same things in your yes. church the same future, the same hopeful future. And, uh, and I'm, I'm just trusting that God will, will bless this resource and, and bless others. And, uh, you know, I, I created it primarily as a tool to use for churches that I am coaching and I'm working with. And as I got working on it, I thought, I actually need to probably make this available publicly because I think there are some pastors and some church leaders who could make good use of this and really find it to be helpful uh, in helping their churches find a new way forward. This has been so good. There's so much more I want to ask you, but time doesn't permit, as they say. But I do want to ask you this. You're sitting down today with a listener and you guys are having a cup of coffee and they've heard this podcast and they're so convicted because they they know they need to do what you said. Uh, and they don't know where to start. What do you tell them? Well, I mean, I think they need to start with just praying themselves uh, and being totally honest with God about where they are and what their struggles are and what they're you know, what they're needing him to show up and do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I I am totally open to any pastor, or any church leader reaching out to me just to get on a Zoom call so that I can encourage them and maybe listen to their story and where they are and giving some direction and giving some guidance. Um, what I what I, I will say I won't do is I won't come to your church and help you revision and refresh your church unless you've committed a significant amount of time in prayer and you prove to me that you've done that. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. it's both it's both and right. It's like I do I do want to help you revision your church. I do want to help you come up with with processes and systems and strategies that will help you reach more people for Jesus and see their lives changed the way that my life was changed when I recognized who Jesus was and what it meant to have a relationship with him. But I want your church to be fully committed to the process and to what God can and will do in your church when you're all unified and when your heart is white hot for the harvest. And so, you know, I, I, I'd be happy to pray with and for any pastor that is uh, in need of that type of encouragement. Um, yeah, it, it, but you got you to gotta start on your own knees. I think that's going to be the best way to go. 
dude, this has been amazing. It's been so good. It's, you know, I'm glad we caught up again. Yeah, <laughs> uh, for sure. And, and the content has been so, so fabulous that, that it'll help churches. And I know your heart is my heart. And that is that we, we see Jesus move in America and around the world in ways we've never seen before. And I still believe that. I still believe our best days are ahead of us, even though these are difficult times. Uh, and you don't solve the problem by ignoring them. You know, if you have a doctor who looks at you and tells you you're great when you have a disease, that's not helpful. You got to work through it. You got to do what it takes to get healthy. And so I just feel like that this resource is the beginning of what can help people. Uh, everything you've mentioned, we'll, we'll put in the show notes, how to get your book, how to get in touch with you, your website, all that stuff. It'll be in the show notes for the podcast. Man, thanks so much for joining me today. Dale, I really appreciate it. Appreciate you, 95 Network. Uh, you know, I, I told you before we started recording that, you know, you hit my AirPods, you know, at least once a week, usually. And I just appreciate what what you're doing. Um, and I'm looking forward to a day that we move this uh, relationship from being virtual Zoom to actually being incarnational so I can give you a big hug and uh Tell you in person how much I appreciate you. Well, I'm going to be in Texas in March, I believe it is. So I'll let you know when I'm there because I'll be in your area doing a conference. But thanks again for joining me. It's been great. Thanks for listening to the 95 Podcast. We look forward to sharing another episode with you next week. In the meantime, visit our website at 95network.org. The website is loaded with great resources created for small and mid-sized church leaders. Until next time, have a great week.